my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I want to discuss the disappearance of something that used to be everywhere, cash. Later, there's something I bet you may be wasting money on in your own life. Bottled water. Okay, so Krista. Clark. Here's my new micro wallet. This is uh, supposedly made out of carbon fiber, but it's not. Check. See, it's not really carbon fiber. I paid $13 for it. Yeah, how much would a real carbon fiber one cost? That'd be a lot. But I've been able to reduce my the amount of stuff I carry to where I don't need a normal wallet. Look, describe to people how small it's like this a is. credit card size. Um, it's exactly yeah. credit card size, and it has a thing on the outside for cash, a money clip, and then you pop this lever, Ooh. and all your cards pop up like I'm a um, uh, card shark. Oh yeah. It's That's more like card truck, right? They popped they out pop like up. an ATM. <laughs> that was neat. I don't know. They popped out. I thought it was like a nice little toy. 13 bucks. Anyway, so didn't need the big wallet anymore. And cash, what do I have here? $2. I have $44 in cash. Is that more than you'd think I'd have or less? Less. Yeah, because I have an emergency supply of money at home but i found that now the number of occasions where i have to use cash is virtually never like i've been sitting with roughly this amount of money for a long time and have never had a call to spend it need more and the only time i ever draw from this is for tips 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 that makes sense that that's when I've ended up needing cash. But now, have you noticed you don't necessarily even need it for tips anymore? Nope. Lots of the apps I have that I use at restaurants, like you go to Panera, and Panera is legendary for underpaying their workers. Sorry, Panera. It's just everybody has that buzz about you. Anyway, so... You get a bagel at Panera or a sandwich or whatever. And then Panera asks, hey, you want to give a tip? And you give a tip right on the app. How many apps do you see that now that you give the tip right on the app? Yep. And now, did you tell me, Krista, who told me It was me, about- me. When I was at a party recently, the bartender had a, her Venmo QR code and a picture of her smiling in front of the bar. So people wanted to tip her. They would just do that because no, she said she nobody carries cash. So she puts this out in a little picture frame every time she works. And so she was getting no tips at all Yep, until she, she did the some. Venmo. Yep. My husband's Venmoed valets before because he didn't have any cash. That's interesting. Yeah, he asked them for their Venmo. And did he steal all their money? How they're just kidding. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, you know, we're in this era where uh, tipping who you tip has changed so much that now so many places you go to that you wouldn't have ever maybe thought about tipping, they're expecting tipping. And then how are you going to tip them? And it's all changing right now about how people get money. Now, truth is, if you really want to be a pal to whoever you're tipping, 
you tip them in cash. Why? Because somehow they don't ever get around to reporting it. Mm -hmm. But when you tip through an electronic method, um, they better be paying tips because paying taxes on the tips because it's all reportable income then. But it's fascinating how little we use cash. And something we were talking about the other day, how in the world do you teach a kid the value of money when they're young, when nobody uses cash anymore? I think about all the times we talked about the three-jar system and stuff like that, that you'd have a jar for immediate spending, a jar for saving, a jar for charity. And that three-jar thing has been around for so long. And now there are apps that you can pay $60 a year for that are all about trying to teach your kid about money. My goodness, the jars didn't cost any $60 to do. So this is a real challenge in our society is how do you teach anyone at any age the concept that money is finite when it's an app, when it's a QR code, or when it's paying with plastic. And I think about how many places I go now, and it's why I have the thin wallet, that I order things on my phone, I pay for them on my phone, and it's all like it's not real money which you feel so much more with real money. And now you see places that won't even accept cash anymore because they're worried about armed robbers. If my kids were little, I think I'd buy like a pack of fake money um, online and, and use it like to teach my kids if they get a check from grandma for their birthday. Like I give them the fake money, even though it's in their account, and then put it in jars or whatever. So you could do that. You are so online oriented. What about going to Dollar Tree and buying a pack of money? Oh, yeah. For a dollar <laughs> instead of ordering online. Yes, Amazon will be there in two days and they'll charge you $10 for your <laughs> fake money. Untrue? True? I don't know. How many Amazon packages get delivered to your house? Too today? many. Too many. Per day? No. <laughs> not every day. <laughs> You're such an exaggerator. <laughs> okay, how many Amazon packages... It depends on the week. My husband does order. Like, he thinks Amazon is the, is the everything store. Well, compared to when he used to buy everything at CVS, yes. he's still saving you a fortune. <laughs> because CVS has the distinction of being the most expensive place you can buy stuff, yeah. regular stuff, on planet Earth, maybe. By the way, you know, a lot of um, Amazon Prime people like you are really sore at Whole Foods right now. Because there's a new... Apparently, they're phasing in a delivery charge on groceries oh, for Prime I don't know. members. I always just go there. I love going to Whole Paycheck, too. This is why I am always going to need to work. <laughs> well, I, I, had, I had a great but I victory. Loved working. I had a great victory a couple of days ago. Lane called me from Aldi and was asking me a question. I'm at Aldi right now. Should we get this out of the other? I'm like, all right. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was really saving us money. I'm sorry. We have digressed so That's much, okay. Krista. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Let's get to some questions. This one came in from Phyllis in Florida. I have a SEP, which I contribute to every year. I just noticed that the sales charge for my contribution this year was 3.49%. This is excessive, right? 
Yeah, Phyllis, that's bad, ugly, as they say. Uh, you were investing through a full commission stock brokerage, and you're buying a high commission fund where you're having to pay 3.5% upfront. So that means every dollar you put in, immediately you're upside down back at 96.5 cents. Plus, the funds have moderate expenses but not low expenses. So you're getting your clock cleaned twice. If this is in a SEP, you could keep it really simple. Go to a, um, a discount broker and you go to Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity. Just go straight into a target retirement fund for the year closest to when you're going to retire. And your expenses would drop to basically nothing. And you'd be investing all your money Every dollar you put in remains a dollar, commission-free investing, and you would pay much lower expenses over time in the fund you were in versus the fund you're in now. From Spencer in Colorado, I'm about to graduate from medical school and will be starting my residency in emergency medicine in the Army. My wife and I will be trying to buy a house within the first year of moving to wherever I get accepted for residency. We have a $30,000 inheritance that we'll be putting towards the down payment. What kind of account should we be keeping this money in until we're ready to buy? We're also trying to get away from Wells Fargo for our primary banking. We're looking at Navy Federal Credit Union and USAA. Any preference? So, Spencer, first, thank you for your upcoming service in the U.S. Army. I'm grateful to you for that. And you're going to be an Army doc, and that's going to be great what you're doing for your country and also the benefits you'll get from the army for going to work as an army doctor out of school um as far as being with navy federal and usaa can't we have both i mean navy federal is the world's largest credit union usaa the military insurer um i actually use both i have Navy Federal, I have checking account, a money market account, a credit card, and a savings account. In USAA, I do the insuring of my cars and some other things with USAA, but I don't do my banking there. Um, but they're fine as a bank as well. So I think that while you have the opportunity, using the services of both of these military organizations would be great for you to do. And from Timmy in North Carolina, I don't want to gush too much, but Clark, you rock. I have other family members listening, so hello, shout out to Miggy and the others. My question or comment is, have you ever been able to contribute to a Roth? Probably only the backdoor method. Please mention income limitations in your podcast. Many people that listen to you need to know that not all people can automatically contribute to a Roth. I assume many listeners are like you and are their own financial advisors. So, yes, and I fail to mention because uh, so few people are in the rarefied air where you don't qualify income-wise to open a Roth. But for a single individual, you're looking at $140,000 is the max you can earn, and then you lose your ability to do a Roth, uh, married couples, 208000 a year. 
And so it's a success tax that you are eliminated from doing a Roth. Now, you mentioned the backdoor Roth, which is a loophole that apparently Congress may close this year or next. We'll see. But it allows people to put money into an obscure product called a non-deductible IRA. And then you can move money from a non-deductible IRA, regardless of income, into a Roth IRA. It's more hassle, uh, more paperwork, but it allows people above the income limits to contribute to a Roth IRA. Now, here's something that people spend a fortune on. I've seen an estimate that the average bottled water drinker spends $1,400 a year on bottled water. And obviously bad for your wallet, but do you know bottled water generally is not as safe as tap? (laughs) If you're a longtime listener to me, you know how I feel about bottled water. And I think it's so cool that more and more people use these refillable bottles where you refill from either tap or at our podcast studio, we have a filtered water machine, uh, whatever you call that. It's like an old water fountain, but it filters tap water, and that way I'm able to overcome the resistance of people who just assume that tap water is bad for you and so they have the filtered water and if you're an environmentalist we eliminate all the wasted plastic bottles and all that so it's something i'm into but not for the environmental side i'm into the other green and that's your money and so having a portable water container is great and you know i fly a lot you're not allowed to bring water through its security And now in most airports I go to, I have an empty water bottle that's in my backpack, and I go to those fountains where you can fill a water bottle that are usually right adjacent to the water fountains. And so I fill my bottle, and I have basically free water. And tap water is essentially free. It costs like nothing. And at home, I drink tap water But my wife and my son drink filtered water, and we have these um, filter thingies like a, is it called a Brita or whatever? Mm -hmm. And so you pour tap water in it, and it filters it, and then you're drinking filtered water. That is a better idea than buying bottled water because bottled water overwhelmingly is just tap. And the companies are so deceptive about that. They don't generally want you to know that you're paying a fortune for tap water. And even the two bigs, Pepsi and Coke, that are so dominant in bottled water with um, Pepsi is... Wait, Coke's Dasani, Pepsi Aquafina. Aquafina, Aquafina, I think, is theirs. Mm -hmm. So you're paying them to bottle tap water put it on a truck, take it somewhere, and sell it to you for a dollar or more. What a great country. (laughs) I mean, you think about a one-liter bottle. Let's do a half-liter, which is so often what people buy. 
So from tap, that's a fraction, fraction, fraction of a penny. If you use one of the filters, you're still at a fraction of a penny for that half liter. And then you buy that bottle for a dollar something. I mean, even at Costco, when you buy the giant container of bottled water that's all those 16.9s of Kirkland Signature, or you go to Sam's and you buy the member's mark bottled water, you're paying seven cents a bottle, which sounds a lot better than paying a dollar something for the, the stuff at the convenience store or wherever for a bottle, but you're still paying many times over what it costs for the tap water or your own self-help filtered water. So think about it. You feel like there's never any money in your life and you routinely buy bottled water. Make this one change in your life and you're going to save a ton. Now, the allegations, there was a story in the Los Angeles Times talking about why bottled water is not as safe as tap water. And you may or may not know about this, but in most states, there's no requirement for testing on any regular schedule of bottled water after it's processed. Make sure it's safe for you to drink. There's no impurities through the bottling process. Where municipal water is tested multiple times a day. And I know ever since the scandal involving Flint, Michigan, and the general lack of trust of government in the United States, there are a lot of people who are not going to trust that municipal water is ever safe. And so you buy bottled water, that you're buying almost always bottled tap water that supposedly has been through some kind of filtration. So if that's your concern, do the thing that my son and my wife do where they drink from that filtered thingy where it's this pitcher with the filter disc in it. I'm describing this so poorly. Anyway, you pour the tap water in there, it filters it, and then you pour it out and you drink it, and you'll still save a ton. This is from Clay in Arizona. Are there any focus group jobs that you recommend? I have no procedure that I can recommend to you how to get uh, work doing focus groups. It's kind of random and haphazard. A lot of times people are, by computer modeling, invited to be part of focus groups. Now, there are organizations that we've tested and we have a briefing on on Clark.com for doing surveys. And so that is a, an alternative. And we found you're not going to make a lot of money with any of the survey job opportunities, but some of them are legit. And we've tried to ferret out what you actually will make. But as far as being able to recommend to you a particular focus group organization that would get you focus group work and jobs, I don't have that. You can search locally and see what research companies do focus groups and put your name in with them. I used to do that. And so they ask you a series (laughs) of demographic questions and other things like that. And maybe that would lead to some money. My mom uh, loved being contacted to do car focus groups because my my late mom loved automobiles and every time she 
would be asked if she wanted to participate. She always did because she said she made money having fun for her. Awesome. This is from Mike in Utah. I've been told about this way to make some extra money on the side. I was told I can make upwards of $700 a month. It sounds like a scam or something. Essentially what you do is set up an LLC and a site for a larger company to use. These companies have limits on how much charge volume they can process as a merchant, and you use your LLC to expand their charge volume capacity or something like that. You make a percentage of the volume they charge through your LLC. I don't know all the details, but hopefully this is enough for you to know what the catch is. Mike, the catch is somebody's trying to get you involved in their scam and get you to do merchant processing for them in some kind of activity that almost certainly is a fraudulent activity. Don't have any other conversations with them and stay far away. It is not true at all that companies are limited in the volume they can process on charges. They are able to, as their volume grows, they're able to negotiate lower merchant rates for merchant processing, and they would not want to reduce their volume at all. And this is from Loving Grandparents in Tennessee. My wife and I are raising our granddaughter, and she is three years old. We have full custody. My question is, she receives $1,000 a month from Social Security. We have managed to save around $20,000 for her so far. We would love information about starting to put some of her funds into a safe market account for her. We would love to get a few ideas to help her in her later, later years of life. I'm 56, so by the time she is 20, we will be in our 70s. So um, you are doing a labor of love that is happening in so many families where grandparents are raising grandkids at the highest numbers in memory. And there have been a number of circumstances that have led to this in the country. And what a wonderful thing, getting a chance to be there for your granddaughter, and what a great thing you're doing for her. And the love in your household is benefiting both directions. So the money that you're developing is money that would best be placed because of her age into a trust. And you can open a a trust account or open a custodial account. But the, the issue with a custodial investment account is that depending on the state at age 18 or 21, the money would become that of your granddaughter and it's hard to say at age three the emotional and overall maturity that your granddaughter would have. A trust would be a viable, appropriate situation because if you did die at an earlier age when your granddaughter was still a minor, it would allow for a trust with a trustee to handle the money. And Uh, The amount of money you have is enough that I think it would be appropriate to talk with a lawyer about uh, setting up a trust, and then you would put the money into an investment account at one of the, typically one of the discount brokers, uh, which would be Charles Schwab or Fidelity Investments or Vanguard, and the money could go into, gosh, at the age of three with long-term growth potentially ahead 
going into a simple index fund or two would be appropriate, like a total stock market index fund where you'd be putting money aside for your three-year-old granddaughter in little pieces of thousands of U.S. companies. The other half could be in an international index fund. A two-fund arrangement would be a very reasonable and smart choice with very, very low to no fees to build money for your granddaughter. From Corey in Arkansas, I'm 35 and just moved to a new primary home. I kept our last home and have a renter in it now. 10-year loan and break even on rent to mortgage with 130000 in equity. Would it make sense to continue renting or to sell within the three-year time frame so there is nothing taxed? I would be investing this money in a target brokerage account. We save 10% in retirement plus 10% employee match and put money away monthly in a target brokerage account and a 529. So you are a serious saver. That is awesome. And at 35, you already have the rental home. You have your new home. Uh, 10-year loan. I mean, that's fantastic. So you say 130 k in equity, but that is not necessarily the same as what I want you to consider. If you have a big gain in the value of the property, the purchase price versus the current value, there would be a real benefit to you to selling that property during the three-year time frame so that the gain is tax-free. On the other hand, if you've had a very small gain from what you paid for it to what it's worth now, then it would make sense potentially to keep it as a rental property because you're already in a position where you break even and this is building an enormous ongoing income stream for you for years and years to come. Now, the, the tax issues are not as significant if the value of the property is in the same neighborhood as what you originally paid for it. But again, if there's a big gap there, that would make it a better idea to potentially sell the property so that you do pocket that gain, capital gains tax-free. And this is not an automatic, but it is a direction you should consider. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.